those of us who prefer not to identify, uh, welcome to In Poor Spirits. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's it's us. We're back. We had it. Yeah, we got we got Mark over here, and we got Dimitri over there. Uh, we are doing. Oh an, man, no last names today. No, no. no this is an informal in episode informal of In Poor Spirits episode. We woke up early for this. We're tired. I'm all right. You're good. Yeah, man. You're used to this by now. I'm still getting my my legs back under me for all this work and fun bartending stuff that I'm I'm getting reintroduced to. Again. Uh, but yeah, it's been a fun week. Uh, how's your week been? Not bad. Um, what is it? Wednesday. Wednesday. We're on uh, Wednesday. So I've done nothing so far. Heck yeah! Uh, that's a good week. I just been hanging out with the babe. Oh, that's fun. That's you know. good times. Well, what are we doing today for all these lovely people? Today we're going to discuss a few mixologists. We actually picked one of our favorites each. I'm going to talk about someone most people, anyone who is a bartender should know at least, in Jerry Thomas. Jerry Thomas. Who's essentially the father of mixology. And in that sense, I'm going to make you a drink that I'm making up on the spot. Okay. But uh, has some classical vibes to it, some modern twists. Jerry Thomas' most famous cocktail is called the Blue Blazer. I wasn't going to make that for you because I'll explain later how ridiculous it is. Okay. But I made you a blue cocktail. <laughs> nice. So you're going off or I'm of going color. to make you a blue cocktail. So you've learned nothing I have an from idea. last week. No, not at all. You've learned. It's, gonna, it's probably going to be bad. So you're, okay. I'm actually just, I'm just, in my mind, I'm going to like, I'm going to make this taste better. Are you mad at me? No, I'm not. From I'm, last week? Are you no, trying it's to fine. Hurt, my, hurt my taste buds this no, week? No, 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 no. <laughs> Well, uh, we yeah, we're doing that. So uh, again, those of you who've never listened to Import Spirits, we are going to be making cocktails, sharing them, and then just delving into conversation and usually ridiculousness. And today we're doing Pioneers. Pioneers of bartending, which I feel is lost nowadays. There used to be such a gusto with the bartenders of, of old. I feel like, I don't know if it's lost. Uh, I don't know if pioneer is a correct term for what people are doing today. But I think innovators. there's I think there's innovators. Right. I think there's people that make it different, but we've talked about this a million times. Yeah. There's only so many ways you can change things up and try and be inventive and make things. I mean, there's infinite number of ways to do things, but it all kind of comes back to the same basis. I like to be optimistic and hopeful in a way where I think we could make something classic. I want us on this journey, I don't care how many seasons or episodes it takes, I want us to make our own classic. I know. <laughs> we're getting there no um, i i get it but and i don't care if you think it's an impossible task i think sometimes impossible tasks are necessary and i think that should be our and, new side mission unless you create a new spirit that is the basis of your cocktail i don't so we get into distilling i i think look you bah humbug me all the way all you want because i need that friction so we can get going right <laughs> i need that friction but that's what i want to do Anyways, that's what she said. The, <laughs> anyways, silly, dirty jokes and low-hanging fruit aside. Uh, it's early, man. You gotta let me early. get the, no, the you easy get stuff it. out. By all means, this is going to be a slap-happy episode. I picked the first barmaid of the Savoy Hotel, and that is Ada Coley Coleman. And she has only one drink in the Savoy cocktail book, and that is the Hanky Panky. So I'm going to be making you the Hanky Panky. It's very easy. I'm doing it traditionally the way she likes to do it. And yeah, we're going to do an homage to uh, to the lovely Ada Coleman. So if you guys want to grab a drink and join us, please do that now, because we will be back in just a moment. All right. Cheers, buddy. Cheers, brother. 
Oof. Ah. Oh. Here's this. Di- it's it's interesting. I mean, it's more palatable than that. What do you mean? Is that just for, what is that vermouth and gin? So it's one part vermouth, one part gin, and two dashes of ferment. I actually so all right. The initial taste was really abrasive. It is. But now it's like the fernet and like the, I don't even know. It's like the earthiness of the gin. It's just like. Mind if I try it? Yeah, yeah. It's like sitting on the back of my tongue and it's kind of really refreshing. So. Which sounds weird, but it's like the menthol mixed with the botanicals or something. Part of the reason why I picked Ada was because she was a huge fan of theater and celebrities in general. So she, she made this cocktail for a comic actor who asked her for something with a bit of a punch to it. Mm-hmm. And it was after he was over being overworked in one of his uh, movies, apparently. But yeah, so that is where this one comes from. So it's supposed to be a little bit of a punch to the face at first. Yeah, I mean, there's no nothing to dull it, right? Yeah. Like, it's along the lines of a Manhattan, but it's it's slightly different. I think my favorite part is the menthol in the back that you get from the Fernet. Because um, it sweetens up on you. Yeah. But the first, like, right on your tongue, that's why I was like, ugh. Like, that yeah. was rough, especially at 11 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> that was a rough punch to the throat. It's... I actually don't hate that drink. I don't really like it. What's in the but back I don't of it? Hate it? It's the absinthe. Oh, man, that's and then what I'm tasting. On the front, you're getting the aromatics, the teapot bitters I put in there. What do you think? I like it. It's growing on me, most definitely. The black licorice kind of throws me off. That was just, okay, so uh, he, one of his more <clears throat> well-known cocktails, uh, Jerry Thomas, was a just an absinthe cocktail, essentially. It was like an ounce and a half of absinthe, a quarter ounce of this, this uh, fortified wine, kind of like a vermouth, but not exactly, and then a dash of bitters. That was like one of his more well-known. Now, you think about Jerry Thomas, Jerry Thomas was... The person that wrote The Bartender's Guide, right? So, like, he made up a lot of fucking drinks. It's kind of fun just to play with things that he liked to use. And then, like I said, I used a little blue carousel to make it blue in homage to the blue jacket. Blue, blue blazer, I'm sorry. Blue blazer. You said that he basically created the Boston-style shaking? He, in a way, like, it's called Boston-style shaking because it was invented in Boston. He made it cool. Someone walked into his bar... One day, a writer from New York, uh, when he was still living in San Francisco, and saw this guy with diamond rings on, big rings on, right? On all his fingers. He had a big diamond pin in his shirt, and he was using these shakers, and he was shaking a cocktail from side to side, just glistening and, like, sparkling behind the bar. And that's why it became more of, like, something that he was known to do. But it also has to do with his signature cocktail. Do you think he was messy? Oh, yeah. Yeah? For sure. I don't know. Because, like, you, I've seen some very eloquent and very dexterous bartenders who have done some of the most beautiful. I, I mean, maybe, like, I mean, that's probably the start of flair bartending. Flair bartending. Like, think about that. And that in itself, with that description of the man that had never seen him before, of a dazzling display behind the bars. It's <laughs> like flair. Do you respect like, flair bartenders? I think it's crazy cool. Uh, I mean, yeah, I think so. Like that's super hard. It's I, I would the assume. toughest thing. I I want to learn the coordination. 
I can juggle, which is the weird yeah, thing. Yeah, so you could probably get it. I don't know though. I because I can juggle balls, so like I'll I'll go behind the bar and I'll, if I if it's a downtime, I'll do oranges and lemons just to keep my dexterity up and make sure that I can still do the trick. But I don't. I can't do regular flare. It's not a ball. I can't juggle it. I don't <laughs> know why. My brother can do pins, but I only I only got so far as the bags. Gotcha. Cool. You want to go first? You want me to go first? Uh, it's yeah. I'll 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 take I'll take the reins first. Why not? If yeah. that's okay. Let's dive in a little bit, then we can digress a little more. Yeah, later. yeah. So I picked Ada Coley Coleman, and she was uh one of the first barmaids actually, and she was born in England in eighteen seventy five. So she took up bartending after her father died, and her father was actually a steward at the Rupert Doily Cart, and it was basically this family that owned a bunch of casinos theaters and different venues all around England. Being a steward of that is essentially what we would know as a general manager today, right? So the person who oversaw basically every every part of the of the hotel, be it bar service, be it the the room service, they were basically the head honcho. So once he died is when she started taking up bartending and worked within the Doily Hotel itself. I can't remember the exact bar but she remembers making her first cocktail which was a manhattan and she was taught that by a man named fisher who was a wine butler and behind the bar it was said that she was basically a prodigy very very good with her bartending and not only that she just had this very sparkling personality and management noticed immediately that she was doing something different than her other bartender counterparts she was really getting to know her her patrons and connecting with them on like a personal level so those talents and and not only that but to her her personality got her to be the first head bartender at the Savoy's American Bar uh, and this was after Frank Wells retired in 1903 right. so she she was one of the first bartenders there and I did a little more research in Wikipedia and she wasn't the first female bartender there that was given to Ruth Burgess, oddly enough, a Burgess, <clears throat> who was there in... Who are the Burgesses? Should I know who that is? Huh? Should I know who the Burgesses are? We were taught by a Burgess. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Awesome. Um, anyway, go ahead. But yeah, Ruth Burgess. I was like, why does that sound so familiar? Uh, yeah, right? I know who it is. Um, but yeah, so they were there too. And I, this could be rumor and hearsay, but apparently they worked completely different shifts, never talked to each other because Ada was not very friendly in giving her any of her recipes and things like that. Ruth isn't as well known because Ada was the one who ended up getting interviewed and became the head bartender, the first female head bartender, and I think only head bartender. And yeah, she, she was adored by everybody. Uh, it wasn't until I believe... 1926 that she ended up retiring but she was such a socialite and she was so for the arts and for theater which is what drew me to her in the beginning and what got me to the hanky panky was she made it for a very overworked comedian who was <laughs> who came to the bar and asked her to give him something that would punch him in the face uh, this was in like the early 1900s yeah so she started she started working at the savoy uh hotel American Hotel at uh, 1903, and she was there for quite some time. It's pretty cool that she, A, was a female bartender at that time. Like, that's dope. But it's pretty cool that she got to hang out with comedians and stuff, because at that time, women definitely weren't allowed to do comedy. She was actually, she did a lot of um, 
a celebrity uh, bartending. So she she fed a lot of the famous people of our world, like Mark Twain. She it was the Prince of Wales, the Prince of Wilhelm of Sweden. Even the Earl of Lonsdale wrote that she was the kindest and displayed so much energy that was just marvelous. Uh, she was so nice, so kind, and full of life and energy. So she she was just lit up a room wherever she went. She got to bump some shoulders with some socialites. She threw parties basically at her house. And she ended up living till she was 91. So be nice to people. You're going to live a long, long life. So that is Ada. That is Ada Coleman, a pioneer who actually paved the way for a lot of female bartenders. Because especially around that time, too, that was during, like, Prohibition era in, in, uh, in America. And even in England, which is where she was, there was a big divide of alcohol is bad, right? And even that, that being a bartender in general, not just a barmaid, which is what they called uh, bartenders who were female at the time. But being a bartender was associated with this negative light. It was it was something that made you nefarious and something that made you a ne'er do well. Uh, so it was kind of associated with that. In fact, in in America, around the time of the women's suffrage, they kind of had that hand in hand with prohibition because a big part of the women's suffrage movement was their suffering was induced by alcohol. Right, abusive abusive husbands w- was a huge thing. And they they were basically big proponents of if no one is allowed to drink, a lot of the suffering will go away. And unfortunately, a lot there's a lot of truth to that, you know. Um, but yeah, sorry, weird weird tangent there. But she did she paved the way for for a lot of women, uh, even in a time where that wasn't necessarily something that was revered as 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 something socially acceptable. Cool. Yeah, that's all I got. That's that's my Ada Coleman story. That's really interesting. I like her. She's great. Yeah, yeah. I, cool. I was I had a fun time reading about her. Um, so I have a Jerry's got a slightly more like complex thing, but it might also just stem from him being a man. <laughs> he was allowed to do more things, right? Are you trying to say men are more complicated? Because we are about to get so many hating. No, no, emails. no, 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 no. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that he was allowed to do more in his life oh, yeah. because of the time the period that he had. He had privilege that allowed him to be, do more and be more creative and, and live like that. Anyway, Jerry Thomas. Uh, if you're a bartender, you've probably heard of him. Um, he wrote The Bartender's Guide. He is known as the father of mixology. We kind of just mentioned it, but I also am reading and figuring out that he definitely invented <laughs> flair bartending. Oh, he did. So he was known for flashy techniques, sometimes juggling bottles, cups, and mixers. We should learn to flare bartend. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so Jerry was this really, really cool guy. He was born in New York. He worked in New York in the... Ni- or he was born in the ni- 1830s. Uh, he lived till 1885. So he lived half the life that Ada lived. Jeez. Um, Such but, privilege, huh? Yeah, right. Uh, I mean, he really fucking lived a rough life. Yeah. Uh, he was born in 1830 in New York. He moved to Connecticut as a young man and that's where he started to learn to bartend and then in like 1850 when he was about 20 he hopped on a ship to California for the gold rush went down there to try and you know stake a claim or make make a living uh he worked as a gold prospector a minstrel show manager and a bartender during that time a minstrel show manager Mm -hmm. what a resume right uh he was able to do that because his father passed away when he was around that age and he left him some money so he could travel and 
not have to like lay down roots necessarily because he had something to fall back on and allowed him to bartend and, and learn and have fun out there while he was out there um he then went back to the east coast in 1851 and opened his first bar in new york um it was a saloon and it was right underneath the barnum's american circus so like the start of the barnum's brother or the barnum american museum so like yeah. the start of the Barnum oh, Brothers Barnum Circus. Brothers Circus. Um, Did you see that movie, The Showman? Yeah, it's a great movie. So good. Uh, <laughs> it was the first bar he owned Sponsor in New York. Us. And he owned it for a while, and then he decided he needed to travel more and learn more about the, the world um, before he could really hone in his craft as he wanted to. So he was a head bartender at a bunch of different hotels and bars in St. Louis and Chicago. He went to San Francisco uh, South Carolina, New Orleans, and he learned all these different parts of the country and got all these ideas. He even went to Europe for a little bit, and he didn't have a job while he was there, but he would carry around a set of all-silver bar tools and just make drinks for people or, like, try and get in conversations with bartenders and learn their t- techniques and, and teach them things. Really cool dude. Um, he obviously wanted to share his craft. Right. And he also wanted to learn as much as he could. When he was working in the San Francisco hotel, or a hotel in San Francisco, he was bartending and he invented side side. his I most feel like that. At but this day and age, is a fucking safety Boston style. One, yeah, it was the wild, wild west back it then. Des- it doesn't necessarily have a set recipe, which is weird. It just needs to be high enough proof to light on fire, and then you toss it from tin to tin. So it stays on fire the whole time, and you create this blue arc of flame from the high ABV in the cocktail. That's great. You toss it without ice. That's that's a show. That yeah. is legitimately a drink in a show. So that's what is mo- he's most famous for, other than probably the bartender's guide. Have you ever had a moment like that where you've walked into a place and have been so swept away by the energy and, and you, like essentially that, you, you've walked into a show to, uh, to a bartender tossing fire from, on, from tin to tin? Have yeah. you ever, yeah? Have I ever been like to a ha- show? Or no, have you ever like had that experience? At, as a bartender? No, as as a patron. I've seen some weird stuff. Like I've seen bartenders like spit flames at like a flare bar. Right. I feel like the one place I felt that here before is the comedy or the magic club up in Oh yeah. yeah have yeah. you been there? No, I know oh, what you're talking you about. You gotta yeah. check it out. But yeah, right when you walk in it just feels like you can you have the bar right there and then the magician at the bar doing like really fun stuff. So you just it, it's a show at the bar. I feel like there's something very special about that. So just to like reiterate that even more, uh this is an article from the New York Times, uh just talking about Jerry Thomas, but it starts with this in saying that uh this English traveler, Edward Hingston went into the hotel that he that Thomas was working at at the time, and he, I'm just going to quote this, there he beheld a magnificent figure wielding two mixing glasses and all ablaze with diamond, a jewelry display that included a cluster pin, diamond cufflinks, and an array of diamond rings, just as dazzling as the, were the drinks, unheard of in Britain, strange mixers like Krusta smashes and daisies. Here were, were that, like, that's crazy. Like that's that's, that's just showing his showmanship and showing his flair before it was even close to a thing, right? Like it's a thing because he made it a thing. Well, that's what I mean. I think that's the like the the clout and the gusto that I think is lost. I I feel like a place that has that, but with their cooking is the place where they just wood fire everything. 
they don't use any gas ovens it's all on wood i know uh, oh yeah in river north right mm-hmm. and yeah. it's it's like a show like the the kitchen is completely in on display and you mm-hmm. kind of watch your food getting cooked it's it's very cool i've been only once uh but i i feel like you I mean, have that's to... the appeal of like a japanese steakhouse right you just cook absolutely. it right in front of you it's a absolutely. show that's cool so thomas went back to new york eventually right uh, and opened three more bars. Uh, his most famous, though, was on Broadway between 21st and 22nd. Never been to New York. No idea what that means. I'm assuming it's close to Broadway. <laughs> what we think of as Broadway. Uh, because that became his most famous bar. Um, but yeah, he wrote a bunch of books, did some cool stuff. Later in life, uh, retired from bartending and got into investments and made some bad decisions. But still... You know, his kids are probably taking care of for what a What kind of bad decisions are we talking? Just like bad uh, investments. Don't tell me he went back to minstrel managing. No, no, he went broke. Oh. He had to sell his art collection. He tried to open a new bar. Yeah, he ended up dying at age 55. Because you got you to gotta lead with kindness. Ada, my girl Ada Coley, she was the life of the party. You just got to gotta laugh. You got to be kind. And you got to go to theater, you guys. That, that'll that give you a long life. She loved that theater. Yeah. I'm a firm believer. Jerry did, did a little too much in his life. I feel like he drank every day for like 30 years. That, yeah, that can't be healthy. There's yeah. no way. I mean, 1830 to 1885, like I have to assume the average life, life expectancy was like 40. So he maybe lived a good life. <laughs> he definitely lived a good life. What do you think? Do you think burning brighter or longer is better? Hmm. It's a deep question. It is a deep question. Yeah, uh, we're gonna, I, I, I'm I'm slowly pushing our podcast into things we have no business discussing. <laughs> so, burning brighter or burning longer? Mm-hmm. Um, I guess it depends on where your morals lie, right? Like, well, no, that that's that's Not more morals. with responsibility. I feel because yeah. like you have to go longer if you feel like you. You have a unfinished business or you have something, someone to take care of, right? Something or someone to take care of. Yeah. Otherwise, I feel like that's completely just a personality trait. Like you can kind of tell those people and like it, what a Jerry Lewis or Jerry Thomas, excuse me, Jerry Lewis, Jerry Thomas was, a. I mean, that's what I feel like flair bartending is, right? You live for that moment. You live, you live for the show and at any second, it can all come crashing down it can fling over the bar and dump onto the lounge area and your ice and your and your cocktail is going to be all over everyone and then you're you're playing the fool at that point right and that's a that's a hard role to to come back from you know he may have lived a short life did i already say this when he was at the hotel in san francisco making a hundred dollars a week in 1862 that's a lot of money that's more money than the president vice president of the united states made at that time <laughs> that's insane there's, well there's a reason that people do these late nights right yeah. there's a reason that that the industry is is what it is there's there are p- places like the gibson where these people work there for 40 plus years yeah because you are ma- you are guaranteed that money i mean during the first shutdown i was getting people coming and applying when we were getting ready to reopen when it was outdoor dining only from these places that don't have patios but like like these, these guys trying coming and applying, and this is like for like busing jobs and food earning jobs. 
you're coming from steakhouses and stuff that they've been at for 25 years. Well, because if you're there and if you are a good busser, if you work hard and if you know what you're doing, you can do that job with two, three guys, four guys tops, and you can make a killing just spreading that money around. Right now, it's the wild, wild west, right? Everything's opening back up. This is crazy to me, but we're pulling better numbers than before COVID. They, their complete like business got some sort of flux, and I think it's because we had those casualties, right? And right now, things aren't fully opened yet. So the, the small places that are, that can give you those fun experiences, that can give you a bit of a show, which I, I will say my new place of business is kind of good at that. They, they have a little bit, their weekends get a bit more lively, and they want to give that kind of like showman experience and i think there is something to that like everybody who starts getting more deeply involved within hospitality stops referring to it as like dinner and starts referring to it as an experience i think like a lot of that is going a lot of the world is going towards that of our world right more based on like experience and cool things and activations and things like that but i think there's also still a crazy experience or um, I don't want to say event, but if you go, if, like if I take my kids to like an old school Italian place in heart of Chicago, you're like walking into someone's house that they cleared into a restaurant 50 years ago, you know, like that in itself is still an experience, which makes those places still so cool. But we're going away from that as a society, but it's, it's becoming it's an experience because now. it's a rarity. Yeah. It's just harder to do now. Like people back, back before all of this pandemic hit, I remember I had my friend from California came into town and I finally did some touristy stuff mm-hmm. and it was super fun. They took me up into Andersonville uh, during Midsummer Fest, which I had done plenty of times before, but this lady took us on what was a food tour and people used to make livings off of off of things like that it's much harder now like those segway tours food tours but there is a lot of fun niche experiences that you do have to kind of find and explore uh like you know like you said like cooking that food right in front of you i think what we ended up doing was like making our own egg rolls essentially up in little vietnam and it was such a fun experience and i was like i had no idea this was here and i literally lived on foster for like a year and a <laughs> half and i had no idea this was down the street and it's it's very fun uh it's harder to do those kind of things now because we can't gather in such mass we can't gather with strangers without having to quarantine for a few days right i know a lot of that is now being relaxed and people are getting their vaccines which is awesome i'm one shot in Uh, Yeah, you're good on you. But not to get completely gone off our tangent while we're on this vaccine thing, I think that there's that light at the end of the tunnel right now, which also means we're about to go party. So like, I think by July, we're like, I'm already in the weeds at my work right now. Like it's and I love that, right? I'm busy right when I walk in, I have something to do until I walk out. And that makes time go by fast. It means I'm making money. So it's good. But I keep and thinking in the back of my head that this is just the beginning. Yeah. This is gonna get this is going to increase exponentially. And by by July, like we've been locked up for a year. People are gonna come out and they are going to rage hard. Bars so, out there, stock up on your on your crew. Get a reliable crew because the wave's about to come crashing down, I feel. On that note, I think I wanted to say earlier and I forgot, I, I think the industry itself, the herd has almost been thinned. 
which sounds weird because you have to be people... you have to be good at what you do and you have to you have to be doing everything because i'm my bar back now i'm lucky to have a bar back on fridays and saturdays but i, I i'm there till 2 30 in the morning because i need to make sure that that bar is ready for the bartender who comes in tomorrow because we don't have, have a bar, bar back we yeah. don't have a bar back but i mean i wasn't even thinking like a line along those lines i'm thinking about the thousands and thousands of people in our industry that had to go get day jobs or who also who also like i think there was a bit of a fear factor too people were like i'm done with the industry job it was a side gig for me to make extra cash on the side but now it's too much of a risk yeah and in my in my honest opinion as as somebody who who's probably going to be working in this industry for the rest of my life we will never not wear a mask at work again I think that is something that is staying in our industry. I think it just makes sense. It does. It, it makes, makes sense. sense. Like, okay, far be it the coronavirus, whatever. What if I have a cold? I'm taking cold medicine and most likely going to work, right? right. Like most people. But unfortunately, I'm serving you food. So I think a mask. It makes sense. This is just our platform, guys. Uh, when we run for office. Wow, God. Of the bar industry. Present in front of don't look in my closet. No, um, I don't want to run for office. Yeah, but no, uh, we. I, I think we're both on the same page that I see masks as a good thing at work. I mean, obviously, they, it sucks. It's not comfortable. You get used to it, though. You and, really and have you get to get, get the ones mask. that don't dig into the back here. I mean, that first, that back in July or whenever, when they reopened indoor or outdoor dining, I worked back to back to back, like 16-hour shifts with uh, disposable masks on for each one. And literally was bleeding behind my ears. Oh, dang. From how bad it got chafed. You have to get the one that lets you adjust it. I, yeah. Those are so cute. I have some like soft ones right now that are pretty cool. Anyway. Um, what were we talking about? We were, we were talking about how the industry is definitely changing. We were talking about how we're going to go wild. I, I have a question. And I read this on um, the Illinois Restaurant Association by whatever it is. But... Uh, they send an email blast every time there's a COVID update, right? So I read them all because they they pick out the information that I want. <laughs> like, but the if we go into the next phase, or when we go into the next phase, you can do outdoor gatherings of up to a hundred people, right? But if someone is vaccinated, they're not going to count against that hundred. So you could do like ten thousand. As long as nine hundred or nine thousand nine hundred of them are vaccinated, that's theoretically intense. if you if you read that if that's how that reads. Well, yeah, and and that's, that's what the next phase. It's and that's what this is all been about, though, right? This whole <clears throat> this whole like stint of a year and like between the closings and reopenings has been a practice in exploiting loopholes, right? Right, like you can you can fill Soldier Field, yeah, for a fire game this summer, as long as everyone can show their vaccination card right yeah fucking i don't know how many people well and that's that's the next thing that is that is now going to be the next form of identification is that vaccine card i think it's gonna like yeah you're gonna have to show it to get into bars it's It's gonna be like something mailed to you by the government well i think they're also already talking about like a vaccine passport so essentially like a, a new passport that shows you also have the vaccine. I don't that this might be me talking out of my ass and conspiracy theories because birds aren't real, you guys. Yeah. Yeah. 
you got this is me being silly uh wait birds aren't real it's a joke <laughs> i saw them. I've, the, the I've reason the reason the reason covid happened Great is because birds. is because they needed us all to go inside so they could replace the batteries in the birds these are real conspiracy theories you know many, like, that i've read I've online raised in my life those are birds those aren't birds man those are ducks They're i've seen different. them hatch it's a joke i'm joking. grow and then eat i'm leaning into the absurdity I let me do my thing Anyways, before we get off the rails, as we already have, these are the pioneers of, of our time, and we we love them. Who would you say, so, of the two people we, we talked about, fucking, that like yesterday. Uh, <laughs> Ada, people, Ada Coley Ada Coleman, Coleman and, and uh, Jeremiah Jerry Thomas. Um, Jeremiah Jerry Thomas. Anyway, of those two, which do you think has more impact on what bartending is today? I, Ada obviously paved the way for women. I, and we, me and you know that the best bartenders we've ever worked with have been women. I, 100%. I Or don't... Jerry created <laughs> craft bartending. Uh, did he? He's the father of mixology. That's fair. Jerry was flashy. Jerry he, was he flashy. That's what I'm saying. Shit. I think all of these people, I don't think it's fair. I don't think it is fair to put someone like as more influential than the other. I think that all of these bartenders, especially at these early ages, were so necessary because you have to see like Jerry was like that flashy, really showy bartender. I bet you 10 bucks though. So Jerry, they, Jerry is credited with, and this is weird, turning bartending from a profession into a creative art. I love that. That's the only reason I do this. Yeah. That's great. So I think that's, I think that he has that. He has that creative, maybe like Salvador Dali of bartenders sort of feel where he's literally throwing fire from hand to hand. Whereas Ada was that just well-learned. She had been basically born into the industry, right? She'd been born into hospitality. Not only that, she was just kind and completely sympathetic with her patrons. And I think that is my crutch for bartending. I am, com- like, I know right now, I got I got talked to this uh, weekend, actually, by a bartender who I just met, who I respect very dearly. Shout out to Juan. And, um, like, he's, I, I won't even say bartender. He's just an all-around hospitality man, completely. And he, like, was like, I want you to survive here. You need to get faster. And I was like, yeah, I've, I do. I do. I've been out for a year and I do need to get faster. And that's when I kind of fully realized, like, I'm not a fast bartender. I'm, I can make pretty cocktails and I can make them consistently taste good. I am a people man. And that's why I think I was drawn to Ada. So I think they're both necessary and not one is not greater than the other because they're both they were both very necessary for the industry to become the, the dynamic machine it is. All right, well, that's a cop-out, but on that note... Wait, well, cop-out. <laughs> this guy always needs a winner. Yeah, Watch yeah, out for yeah, this yeah, guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. <laughs> you guys, thank you for listening to our rambles. Who knows what's going to make it in this episode? Yeah, that was an interesting conversation. Um, anyway. We need yeah. more of those. Yeah, yeah. So, thank you guys uh, for listening. I'm probably going to wrap it up right about now. Yeah, I got to get to rehearsal. Yeah, Mark's got to go do fun shit. What the hell? Um, but anyway, thank you guys so much for listening. As always, we are Impor Spirits. Follow us on social, Instagram and Twitter. We have uh, 
Our handles are at Inpour Spirits. We'd love to hear from you guys. And we'll be posting these recipes. Um, probably don't want to make mine, but go for it if you want. It's not that bad. Um, and if you want to get a classic, it is a punch to the face, but I do highly recommend the Hanky Panky. Dimitri isn't going to drink it because he has to drive home. So I had two cocktails today, guys. Woo! Uh, I, I drank like half of it. You okay. did drink half of it. You guys, please, whatever you do today, make sure you do it responsibly. We love you, and we'll see you next time.